We're continuing again with Christ in the school of prayer. Jesus is teaching his disciples about prayer. It comes from something that they asked him in verse 1. They said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And so Jesus is instructing his disciples in prayer. And there's three aspects to prayer here that Jesus is going to teach them about. The who, the what, and the how of prayer. First of all, the who. Who are we addressing in prayer? Well, he tells us there, when you pray, say this, Our Father, who is in heaven. And you might just kind of skim over that as though it's of no importance, but it, it's deeply important because it teaches us two very, very important aspects to the one that we are addressing in prayer. First of all, he's our Father, isn't he? Which teaches us that he is approachable and tender and intimate and loving and cares about our needs like any father would for his children. But at the same time, he's in heaven. He's exalted. He's the ascendant one. He's majestic and sovereign and holy. So he is our father to be loved. He's in heaven to be feared. And we need to bring the, both of those aspects of our relationship to God together when we go to him in prayer. We are to draw near with joy and in reverence. Now, not only did Jesus teach about who we are addressing in prayer, but what we are to pray about when we come. Because he gives us six different petitions in this model prayer. The first three relate to God's interests. The second three relate to our interests. And the very first thing we are to pray about is not our own needs, rush in with our shopping list and say, Lord, I need this, this, and this today. We are to stop and say, Lord, let your name be hallowed. In other words, let your name be glorified throughout the world. Let people esteem your name and worship your name and prize it as precious. Let your name be hallowed throughout this world, Lord. Not only that, let your kingdom come. Well, how's that going to happen? As the kingdom of God increases and spreads and multiplies throughout the earth, as people come under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, his kingdom expands. His kingdom comes. So we are to pray for conversions, for people to come into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We're to pray for revival so that his kingdom will spread. And then he, the third petition is, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're to pray that those of us who have come into his kingdom will do his will and obey his word. Keep his commandments. Honor this great person, this great king, that we've come into his kingdom. So those are the first three petitions. And then he says, there's three others that relate specifically to your own needs. Food for your body, fellowship with your God, and faithfulness in your temptations. Food for your body. Because he says, give us this day our daily bread. So that pertains to our basic physical needs your rent money, the food that you need to survive, the clothes on your back, basic needs. Not only that, but fellowship with your God because he says there, forgive us our sins. Now he's not talking about initial forgiveness when you come to Christ and all your sins are forgiven. He's talking to his disciples who have been forgiven. So he's not talking about judicial, legal forgiveness. He's talking about parental forgiveness ongoing relationship and communion and fellowship with God that is broken when we sin. 
So he's saying you need to confess your sins and ask God to forgive you of your sins so that the relationship is not in any way broken. And then thirdly, we are to pray for faithfulness and temptation because he says, and don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Really what he's saying is, Lord, help me to be holy. Enable me to become a holy man or woman of God. So basic needs, fellowship with God, and personal holiness. Those are the three petitions that relate to us. Now, so he's talked about who, our Father who is in heaven. He's talked about what, the six petitions of that model prayer. Now he's going to talk about how. How do we pray? And this is how it works here. If you were to really um, take this thing apart, this is what he's doing. He's going to give us two illustrations. Each one of those illustrations illustrate a different truth related to how we are supposed to pray. The first one teaches us that we are to pray with shameless persistence. Because he tells a story of a man who comes at midnight, waking up his friend and saying, I need three loaves of bread and I'm not going home until you get up and give it to me. Shameless persistence. And then he applies that illustration in verse 9 and 10 by telling us that we have to keep on asking and seeking and knocking. And if we'll do that, we're going to receive. Then he switches over to another illustration. And this is not of a friend, it's of a father. And this is of a father who has a child, and the child comes to him and says, Dad, I'm hungry. Can I have some fish? Can I have a hard-boiled egg? And he says, no, earthly father, no matter, matter how evil he is, is going to give him a scorpion or a snake to hurt him when that father come, or the child comes and asks for something good. Then he applies that illustration in verse 13 and says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In both of these illustrations, he's going to teach something by way of contrast. The man who's in bed and doesn't want to get up is contrasted to God. The father who is evil is contrasted to God who is good and holy and wise. So that's the outline. Illustration, application. Illustration, application. And here are the two truths. We need to pray with shameless persistence and we need to pray with confident trust. So let's take a look at those. First of all, we need to pray with shameless persistence. Pretend this morning that you are the fellow who has woke up in bed. Now we have to try to go back to first century Judaism. You've got a, several small children. You are a farmer. And so you have been up since the crack of dawn working. When it's got dark, you stop working, you come home, you have dinner with your family, you light some candles, and maybe for a couple of hours you spend time with your family, and then it's time for bed. Because in the next morning, you're going to have to get up early and start work at dawn again. And so you take the time to get your children in bed. In those days, usually a, a poor Jewish household would be a very small home. It would be a one-room home. And part of this home on one side would be the kitchen and the eating area. And the other part is the living area and the sleeping area combined. And so at night they would throw a mat down and the whole household would sleep together on this mat. They didn't have separate bedrooms. They're all together. And if they got cold, they would just huddle together and get, keep warm that way. So he gets his kids ready for bed. He puts them down on the mat. He brings in some of the domesticated animals from outside. 
He then closes the door and locks it, blows out the candles, and gets in bed. And because he has to get up early the next morning, he goes to bed early that night. So he's not awake at midnight. <laughs> he is sound asleep and a very deep sleep. And he's rudely awakened about midnight, hearing this rap, rap, rap on the door. And at first he thinks, oh, it's, it's got to be something in my dream. Surely nobody would be rapping on my door at midnight. But the person just keeps knocking, keeps knocking. And finally he wakes up, tries to get out of this groggy spirit. Have you ever woke up when you're really, really in a deep sleep and it takes a long time to get awake? I bet that's what's going on with this fellow. Finally, he wakes up and he's thinking to himself, what in the world? Who could be knocking at my door at midnight? This doesn't happen. But here he's going, he's knocking again, and finally he hears somebody calling to him, friend. Wait a minute, how could you be my friend knocking on my door at midnight? Friend, lend me three loaves. Somebody's come to me on a journey, and I don't have anything to set before them. And so you want to say, well, just go home, go to sleep, and I'll talk to you in the morning. <laughs> and... And he, I, if it was me, I probably would have said the very same thing. Look, I can't get up. That's what the guy in the parable says. Don't bother me. I can't get up now. My kids and I are in bed. And the ESV says they're in bed together. So they're all in the same place. If I get up, I'm going to wake up the whole household. The sheep and the dogs are going to start barking and making noise. And it's just going to be terrible. Just go away. I'll talk to you in the morning. So how would that fellow have felt? You know, I'm sure he didn't want to come to begin with. So he takes a few steps back towards the street, looks back at the house, and he thinks, what am I going to do? If I go home without food, I'm going to be horribly ashamed in the presence of my guest. You have to understand Jewish hospitality and what a priority it was. It was their duty to God, they felt, to show hospitality to strangers. And it was a great shame if you didn't show hospitality to strangers. And here these people have come unannounced. He didn't know they were coming. They just showed up at his door and his cupboards are bare. He doesn't have anything to give to them. And so he has to do something to provide food for them. So he has that running through his mind. If, if I go home without any food, first of all, my wife is going to say, go back there and get something. <laughs> I can't go home without any food. But if I go back, I'm going to really irritate this good friend of mine. So either I can be a good friend and go on home and stop bothering him, or I can be a good host and go back and knock on his door. And he has these two things pulling on him. And finally he says, it's more important to me to be a good host than to be a good friend. So he goes back to the door and he knocks again. And finally, the, the guy just in exasperation says, okay, okay, if you keep doing that, the whole household's going to get awake. So he gets up out of bed, gives him three loaves, says, here, go. Get rid of yourself. I'll talk to you tomorrow. That's what this parable is all about. It's shameless persistence. Shameless persistence. Now, what led... To him being so shameless when it came to persisting in his request. Well, there's three things that I see in the text. Number one, he had a great need that he had no resources to fill. He needed food, and he had none. Do you suppose one of the reasons we're not more persistent in prayer is because we really don't feel our need? Perhaps we feel self-sufficient. God, we really don't need you in this one. I can take it from here, you know. So, 
it's good for us to feel like we don't have the resources to meet this particular need and we have to go to God and we have to depend on Him to be able to do this particular thing. Secondly, what I see here is that this man had a prior relationship with the one he was coming to. He wasn't going up to a complete stranger and knocking on his door and saying, Hey, stranger, wake up. I need some food. He says, Friend, lend me three loaves. And we can go to God. And we can be shamelessly persistent with God because He's already our friend. He's already our Father. We're already in covenant relationship with Him. In fact, He delights for us to show shameless persistence. And then the third thing I see from this parable is that there's a contrast. Because God isn't asleep. The Bible says He doesn't slumber or sleep. And God isn't irritated and bothered and angry when we come to Him again and again and again and again. In fact, He delights in it. He's commanded that we do that. And He wants us to come back again and again and again until the answer is given. Now, the most important word that you need to understand here is in verse 8. In the New American Standard, it's translated persistence. In the ESV, it's translated impudence. Impudence. In the King James and the New King James, it's translated importunity. And the New International Version is translated shameless audacity. So you're starting to get a little bit of the flavor for this word as you look at various translations. In the New Living Translation, it's translated shameless persistence. And I'm going to go with that one because I think that's really encapsulating what this word's all about. Now, why shameless? Well, because this man knew no shame. He was going to come and rap and rap and rap on that door. He wasn't going to take no for an answer. Even if it meant waking up the whole household, he didn't care. He had to get that food for his guests that had come. He was shamelessly. He was going beyond bounds of, uh, bounds of all propriety, wasn't he? It wasn't proper to do what he was doing, but he, he said, I've got to. I have to in order to provide for these guests that have come. So that's the idea behind this word, shameless persistence. Now look at the application in verse 9 and 10. And we know it's the application because of the first word. So. So I say to you, based on the illustration I've given to you, so I say to you now, ask and it will be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. So he gives us three verbs. Ask, seek, and knock. Now, because this is, in the English version, we don't really get the sense of what he was saying. Because in the Greek, we understand these are present tense verbs. And you say, well, so what? A present tense verb in the Greek is an ongoing, continuous reality. So what Jesus is actually saying is, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. And you're going to find the door is going to be open to you. In fact, in verse 10, it would be like this. For everyone who keeps on asking receives. And he who keeps on seeking finds. And to him who keeps on knocking, it will be opened. So Jesus is teaching that you will receive answers to prayer if you don't lose heart and give up. But keep on banging on heaven's door until God opens that door and says, here you go. Here's the blessing. It's kind of like 
a dad who's putting his little boy to bed at night. How many of you have ever done that? Or you can be a mother too. <laughs> so you, you take your little boy and first you have to give him his bath, don't you? And then he's got to brush his teeth. And then you get his jammies on. You put him in bed and of course he wants to hear a bedtime story. So you tell him a story. Then he wants you to pray with him, so you pray with him. And then he's got 12 or 15 questions to ask you before he wants to go to sleep. And after all these questions are done, you cover him up with his covers and you say good night. You give him a kiss on the forehead. You go out of the room and close the door. And then you get to sit in your easy chair and get some R&R. And you have earned it because you've been working hard all day. And now you get time for yourself, finally. And 30 seconds later, you hear the sound from inside the door. Daddy, can I have a drink of water? And you say, no, I just put you to bed. You've already got a drink of water. Go to sleep. 60 seconds later, you hear again, Daddy, can I please have some water? And you, by this time, you're so exasperated and frustrated, you say, no, son, you cannot have a glass of water. You've already had water. Go to sleep, and in fact, if I hear another word out of this room, I'm going to come in and spank you. A minute or two later, there's dead silence, and then you hear, Daddy, when you come in to spank me, could you please bring me some water? <laughs> that's shameless persistence. <laughs> and that's the kind of persistence we need to have when we go to our Father to get answers. We won't be denied, even if it means a spanking, you know, <laughs> something negative. So let's apply this this morning. We need to pray with persistence to get an answer. What kinds of things should we be praying about over and over, knocking on heaven's door until it comes? Well, I want to suggest to you that the things that we ought to be praying about with shameless persistence are the very things Jesus taught us to pray about, the first three petitions of the Lord's model prayer. Father, let your name be hallowed. Let it be sanctified. Let it be made holy in the earth. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. And whenever you see that these things aren't so, we go again to God. Because it's the passion of our heart as his children to see his name glorified, his kingdom expand, and his will performed throughout the earth. I think that's probably uppermost in the mind of Jesus when he said, be shameless in your persistence. Which means, for us, that if you know people that are not saved, of course you do, family members, maybe it's a father or mother or son or daughter or brother or sister or cousin or aunt or uncle or nephew, people that you know are not converted, pray. And you say, well, I've, I've prayed. I've prayed several times. Don't stop. Pray on until either they die or they're converted. Pray. Pray for them. In addition to that, I would say pray for revival. We've been talking about this here at the bridge. Pray for it. And don't stop. I know it gets wearisome when we pray and we don't see it. But that's why Jesus says, keep at it. Keep at it. Keep at it. And I've, I, the Lord recently, and I hope I don't lose this fervor, but he's been giving me a fervor to pray for revival. Because I know it can happen. He's done it in the past. We desperately need it. So pray on, pray on that the Spirit of God would come. Effusions of the Spirit would be poured out from heaven upon this land and upon other places of the world who have no Christian church. Places in India, 
of the people groups in India are unreached. Some of them have no Christians. None at all. So we need to pray that God's gospel would go to them and a church would be planted there that would reproduce itself. So these are the kinds of things that we need to be praying about. There we have Jesus' first teaching to us about how to pray. We are to pray with shameless persistence. Now secondly, he wants us to pray with confident trust. He goes to another story here. And this is the story of a father with his son. And the son comes to his father, Daddy, I'm hungry. What can I have for lunch? Can I have some fish? Can I have a hard-boiled egg? And Jesus says, No, human father is so wicked, so sadistic, as to get his jollies and his laughs out of, Okay, son, here's, a, here's an egg. And it's actually a scorpion. It looks a little bit like an egg when the scorpion's legs are coiled up. Here you go, which is going to sting him. Or... Here's some fish and hands him a rattlesnake. You know, it's just crazy. No earthly father, no matter how evil, is going to do that. And then he follows it up with the application in verse 13. And we know it's the application because of how he starts the verse. If you, what? Then. Because of what I've just told you about that father. If you then... Being evil, and we do have to just stop for a minute on that, even though it's not really part of what I want to teach on, just because it throws some light on Jesus' view of humanity. If you go out and poll people and ask them, well, are, are you a, a good person or an evil person? 99% of the time you're going to get, oh, I'm a good person. I know that because I've done it. <laughs> I've talked to lots and lots of people, and that's the answer I get all the time. People have a distorted and corrupted and wrong view of themselves. And they'll never have the right view until the Spirit of God brings conviction to their heart. And folks, that's what happens in revival. Go back and read what took place in the first great awakening and the second great awakening. People all of a sudden saw themselves the way God sees them and they were terrorized by that. They would spend days, if not weeks, sometimes months, under this heavy sense of guilt and foreboding, knowing their danger that at any time they could slip into hell. This is what happens. Someone back there saying, yeah, that's happened to me. Amen. Praise God. If it's happening to you, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Because God is showing you what your heart is really like. Yeah, you can put on a good front in front of other people when they're watching, but what are the evil motives that are driving so much of the stuff that you do? The selfishness, the lust that's going on, the covetousness, the greed, the pride. When God opens up those things, the unbelief, and shows you what's really going on in this heart, you agree with Him. I'm evil. I'm evil. That's what Jesus says, and that's not even His main point here. It's just a little aside He throws in. If you then, being evil... So you can either side with Jesus and say, yes, I'm evil. Or you can say, I'm smarter than Jesus and I'm not evil. I'm good. I'm taking my side with Jesus Christ. I think he knows a little bit more about my heart than I do. Okay. So if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, notice these next three words. How much more? He's teaching by contrast. How much more? Will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? How much more? 
if a little boy says, Dad, uh, would you mind if I, if I played with that gun over in your cabinet and you know it's a loaded pistol? What are you going to say? No way. No, son. You can't play with that. Little four-year-old. In fact, that shouldn't be over there. I'm going to put it up here and lock it in this safe where you can't get to it. Or if he says, Dad, is it okay if I go swim in that ocean? And there's a sign there, danger, sharks. No, son, you can't do that. God is like a father who's looking out for your best interests. And when you ask for something, God doesn't give you something evil. He gives you something good. That's why I've said that we need to confidently trust in God when we pray. And so, if one of you says, I've really been praying for a long time that um, I would get this unemployment settlement. I really need it. And I've been praying that the judge is going to rule in my favor and get this unemployment settlement. Well, what are you going to do if God determines that he's not going to do that? He's not going to give you a yes answer for that. How are you going to react? How are you going to respond? Or if some position has opened up in your life and suddenly your heart is looking towards that position and you desire it and it comes back with a no, that's not something I'm going to give you right now. How are you going to react to that? Or if you're denied that raise at work. Or if you pray that you would advance in the company and instead you're fired. Or if you pray that Lord, just give me one night's good sleep where my kids aren't going to wake me up and they wake you up three times that night. <laughs> or if you say, Lord, please take away this fatigue that I've been struggling with so long and instead you still continue to struggle with it. Do you see what I'm, where I'm going with this? You pray and you think it's something good and instead the Lord doesn't answer that particular thing. How do you handle that? What do you do with all of that? Well... Number one, we have to understand that there are certain conditions to get your prayers answered. Certain conditions that the Bible lays out for us that we have to meet in order to receive answered prayer. So let's just mention those quickly. Uh, number one, we've got to pray according to God's will. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, let's go there for just a moment. John says, this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which he, we have asked from him. So if we ask according to God's will, he hears us and he answers those prayers. So you have to ask yourself, is what I am praying for according to the will of God? That's a condition. Another condition We've got to pray in faith. Over in Mark chapter 11, verse 24, this is Jesus' own words, Therefore I say to you, this is Mark eleven twenty-four. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted you. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. There is also a condition you need to extend forgiveness, and you need to pray in faith. And James tells us the same thing in James chapter 1, when he's, he's talking about a person who's praying for wisdom. And there in James 1 verse 6, 
He says, but he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So we have to pray according to God's will. We have to pray exercising forgiveness towards those who have offended us. We have to pray in faith. Another condition, we have to pray with right motives. Look at James 4, verse 3. He says, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So you need to examine your motives in prayer. Why am I praying for this? Is this a God-honoring motive or a selfish motive? Is it just to spend it on my pleasures? Am I all consumed with me, myself, and I? You know, or is this something that I really want because I think it will glorify God? Another condition... We need to pray while honoring, well, specifically while honoring our wives, you men. The principle can also probably be extended to wives honoring their husbands, I would assume. But we get that from 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Peter says there, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. If you want answered prayer, you have to honor your wife. And by extension, probably, he would say, wives should honor their husbands so that their prayer lives are not interrupted. There's no breaking of communion. Another condition, we need to um, live an obedient life if we want our prayers answered. 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. He says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. So if you live a disobedient life and then go to God in prayer, you shouldn't wonder why he doesn't answer your prayers. He tells us here, obedience is a condition. We also know that from Psalm 66, 18. He says, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So if I regard it, if I treasure it, if I coddle that sin and refuse to let it go, refuse to repent of it and forsake it, don't wonder if God doesn't answer your prayer. These are biblical conditions to have our prayers met. But you say, well, I've done all of that. I, I've really been taking stock of my life. I'm seeking to pray in the will of God, forgiving those who have offended me, praying in faith, praying with motives, I'm checking my motives, I'm really seeking to honor my wife, I'm praying to live an obedient life, but still, I've asked for this thing and I still haven't seen the answer. Well, I think I have a promise that will help you. It's from Psalm 84, verse 11. It's the second half of that psalm. It's a promise. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And you say, well, Brian, he is, uphold, or he is withholding something, and I am truly seeking to walk uprightly. Well, my answer to you is that evidently God doesn't consider that a good thing for you right now, or he would give it to you. No good thing does he withhold from you who walk uprightly. Let that promise grip your heart today. 
In order to really believe that promise, you need to believe two things about God. Number one, He is wise. Number two, He's good. I suppose you could throw another one. He's sovereign, and He can do it if He wished to do it. He's sovereign, He's wise, and He's good. You have to put confident trust in God. And continue to pray, because you don't know whether the Lord is simply wanting to try your faith, and after a period of time is going to grant the blessing. But until it comes, you have to believe that God is wise and good, and is lovingly withholding that particular thing, because either you're not ready for it, or it's better for you not to have it all together. Now sometimes, when we pray and nothing happens, we, we come to various conclusions. Number one, we say, well, God must not exist. Because I prayed, nothing happened. Or number two, God exists, but God doesn't answer prayer. Or number three, God answers prayer, but He doesn't love me, because He's not answering my prayer. I think it's far better to go to Psalm 84.11 and simply say, God knows what is best for me. I'm asking for something. God never gives something bad when I ask for something that is good. I can trust Him that He will give and is giving me right now that which is good for me. I think it was Tim Keller who made this statement, and it's, it struck me. I don't know if we have the quote up or not, but he says this, Yes, God only gives us what we would have asked for if we knew everything He knows. God only gives us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that He knows. Our problem is we don't know what He knows. He knows the end from the beginning. And we're stuck in this little space-time continuum with just limited knowledge on every side. And God knows everything. So that's why he calls us to trust him as a father, a good father who gives good things to his children. So I, my encouragement, my exhortation for you today is trust God in the dark, in the pain, in the suffering. When your children or your parents are not converted, trust him. Pray on, pray on, but keep trusting that he's good. And my second exhortation for you is to ask for the Holy Spirit. Because that's what Jesus tells us to do here in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. Let's just remind ourselves of his final application there. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, this can be a real confusing verse, because you can say, well, I thought I had the Holy Spirit. I'm a Christian. Can I be a Christian without having the Holy Spirit? Well, no, you can't. According to Romans 8, I think it's verse 9. Someone can check me on that, but it's in Romans 8, I know that. He says you can't even, uh, you can't even know Christ as your Savior and Lord unless you possess the Holy Spirit. Well, then why should I ask for something I already have? Because you don't have everything of the Holy Spirit that you need. He's given to you in measure. Do you have all of the power of the Holy Spirit that you need in your life? Of course you don't. Do you have all the influences of the Holy Spirit? Do you have all the life and joy of the Spirit and the love of the Spirit and the illumination of the Spirit when you read His Word? Of course, none of us do. That's why He says, come back to Him again and again and again and every day. 
Ask for the Spirit of God. Not for the first time, but for more of the influences of the Holy Spirit. Well, why would we need that? We would need that because every day we need more of God. Every time I open the Bible to study so that I can teach and instruct you, I have to ask God, give me the Holy Spirit. It's not because I'm thinking I don't have Him. It's because I need to be filled. Filled up. And you say, well, I, I was filled with the Holy Spirit when I was converted. Well, that may be so, but the problem is we leak. And we need to get filled up again. Every day we need to be filled up with the Holy Spirit. And so it's a good prayer when you get up, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit today. So before, before I preach, I pray. I get up early on Sunday mornings and I spend the first part of my morning just praying, Lord, please. Give me the power of your spirit in this message today. Please work on the hearts of the people that will be there today. Work in them, Lord. Build them up with your word. And that's why we go back here in the, the nursery and we pray together for the service before we start here at 10 o'clock. And we ask for the power of the spirit every Sunday. And in your own life, you should be doing this. You say, Lord, I, I have to deal with that honorary boss again. My employees must be praying this <laughs> every day. I need your Holy Spirit. Or, you know, I, I know that I'm going to be meeting this guy today and he's a non-believer. Lord, I want to witness to him. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I've got your boldness today. Whatever it happens to be, that the challenges that you face in your Christian life, maybe it's just raising your children and not snapping at them or not getting angry or losing your temper. Maybe it's being loving and kind to your wife or being able to lovingly submit to your husband. Those things are not natural to us. They take an alien power source. They take God in us to be able to do these things that he calls us to do. So, my friends, pray. Pray on. Every day, continually, ask for the Spirit of God to meet you and to fill you, to witness. And we ought to be praying again and again for the Spirit of God to come in revival. You know, the ordinary work of the Spirit, apart from revival, is like a little trickle. It's like when we get a little sprinkle, and maybe for 15 minutes we get a little bit of water and it's gone. That's what God ordinarily does in ordinary times, but in unusual and extraordinary times, the Spirit comes down like a downpour, pouring rain. We need to pray for His showers of blessing to start forming, these thunderclouds to start coming together, and revival to come again. Folks, we haven't had real, a real extensive revival hitting all population centers in the United States for over a century. We had a small one in the 70s with the Jesus movement, but there's nothing, we haven't seen anything like the first great awakening or the second great awakening for a 50 year period of time when the spirit was poured out in this place and then that place ongoing. And our, our country is going down the toilet. We are in a worse state of debauchery than we have ever been. And I can't help but think that we are on our way out. We are going to be overcome unless God visits us again. And so I encourage you to pray for revival. Pray for the Spirit. Spirit, come down in showers upon our land. So, what has God taught us here? 
He wants you to pray with shameless persistence and not give up. And he wants you to pray with confident trust, knowing he's a good father who will give you good things. So let's go to him right now. Lord, we do ask that you would help us this week as we pray to remember these truths, these concepts from your word, that we would not give up until it becomes apparent. You show us in one way or another that it's not something that you're going to grant. But apart from that, Lord, that we would pray on if we believe it to be your word. And we would not grow weary, not grow tired, not lose heart. We do pray, Father, for revival across this Sacramento area, Northern California. We pray for it for, over in the 1040 window. It desperately needs the power of your spirit to get missionaries to these unreached people groups across the world. We ask for it in our own congregation. Lord, that we would be quickened and made alive with the freshening power of the Spirit and in our own personal lives, Lord. Quicken us. Quicken us, Lord. That we would sense your Spirit working strongly and mightily upon us. And Lord, I pray for Paul Cruz as he's visiting with us today and they're planting their church in, I believe it's Easter 2015, Lord, they need the power of your Spirit. How desperately I know that, Lord, having sought to labor here planting a church and not sing a lot of fruit. Sing some, but not very much. Lord, I, we pray as a congregation your blessing upon this work. We pray, Lord, they would be able to reach people for Jesus Christ. Lord, may your rain showers come upon that group that begin to meet. And may we not be envious if you bless them and we don't see the blessing here, but may us just rejoice that Christ is being honored and people are being converted. So Lord, do this work. And all God's people said, Amen.